This is Predictions, the podcast where we try to see into the future. And I'm your host, Ingmar Schubert. And I'm Konstantin Schubert. And today we are talking about space, the final frontier. So the big news in space right now is, is SpaceX. They've been launching two launches in the past four weeks in January at time of this recording. Uh, it's with 60 satellites each in them. And they have planned another two launches every month from now on throughout the rest of the year. So this comes out at about 25 launches times 60 satellites. And uh, that's a lot of satellites. Ingmar, can you explain why they're launching so many satellites and what that is about? Yeah, so the thing about, um, about Starlink is that there have been, of course, uh, communication satellites for customer usage uh, since, I don't know, 30 years or something. Um, for example, Iridium and all that. But the thing about Starlink really is that the satellites are really flying very, very low. So only in, in low Earth orbit, something like 200 or 300 kilometers, and this brings down the latency uh, significantly. So it's really the first global low latency internet constellation. And because they are flying so low, uh, you need many satellites to cover all the area, because the, the lower the satellite is flying, the less likely you are to see it when you're standing on the ground. So this is really exciting, and it's getting big really fast right now and uh, like realistically it should be ready for basic usage whatever that exactly would mean uh, by the end of 20 of the year 2020 in the US and worldwide by the end of 2021 is that elon time or is that real time well it's it's elon time but it's it's slowly aligning with reality i would say, i would say <laughs> so okay. i mean if they launch like um, i don't know four more batches of satellites, they, they should be at a point where they can um, offer a basic usage. Okay, so how does this work? So, so they, they put satellites into low Earth orbit. Mm -hmm. orbit. Um, do they put them into specific orbits already so they can cover certain areas of the United States or certain areas of Europe? Because these are not geostationary satellites, right? So they will be changing their position relative to Earth all the time. Exactly, yeah. And so, so if, if, if they want to provide some kind of basic service, they need to still somehow align them in a way that they cover some area, but not all areas, because otherwise they would have to launch all the satellites, right? So do you know how they're going to do that? Well, I think what you, I mean, what you can at least do is uh, you can um, control the inclination of the orbit. So just the, the angle between the, the equator and the orbit of the satellite. Um, okay. But this, of course, only controls how far north and south your satellites go. I don't know, actually. I think they, they, they can kind of steer how the satellites space out. And um, I'm not sure, actually. I, I think you can, you can in, in some ways, control where you have better coverage and where you have less. But, yeah, this is also something um, I, I don't really understand. I think it has more to do with, um, with regulations and all that. So it's not so much the satellites themselves, but who as an end customer is eligible to um, sign up and just use Starlink. And so, so how many satellites are they putting into space uh, to get the basic 
uh, coverage in and how many satellites are they aiming for for full coverage and and i think i also heard some numbers for for the final goal mm -hmm. that they want to cover do you have these numbers because they're crazy um yeah it's, it's pretty crazy they like right now i mean they they're they're just now they're slipping away from their target already but it's the, they try to launch uh, a batch of satellites so 60 satellites each time um every two weeks in 2020 and they managed to do that in january uh it seems like the first launch of february is already a little bit delayed but nevertheless like the order of magnitude is around 100 satellites per month mm -hmm. and i mean it's that's already pretty impressive so yeah from that you can calculate how much they expect to have until the end of 2020 when they say they will provide basic usage or basic uh yeah connection to um people in north america and yeah in the end of by the end of the first phase they want to have launched around 12,000 satellites okay. if i'm not mistaken i mean at the current launch speed there would be at around uh, 1.5 thousand until the end of the year so that's quite a bit away from from the goal that they mentioned yeah yeah so they they try to do that by the mid 2020s and i think um th this is again very elon time because the what what he's also taking into account is the availability of Starship to be faster and 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 cheaper for that. I, but I'm not entirely sure. So I think it's, in principle it's, it's it's possible, perfectly possible to do that just using uh, Falcon Nine. Mm -hmm. um, I think just doing a very basic estimate, they should like launching 12 billion satellites together with building costs should be around 20 billion for SpaceX with current technology. Uh, you mean 12,000. I think you said 12 billion. Yeah. No, 12,000. It should be 20 billion. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> I'm, I'm just like, um, so, so when you mentioned the Starship, um, that Elon is taking into account usage of the Starship, is that something that is on any reasonable time frame expected to launch? Because so far what I've seen as a bit more casual observer than you, I've mostly seen an empty tin can somewhere standing on a field to be like mean um do they have similar timelines for starship that they actually consider it to be available by the end of the year so they can use it to start launching satellites or what's going on there well i mean first of all don't don't exactly nail me down on that statement that they take starship into account for that um i would think it's still commercially viable to do that for them just using falcon 9 um it would just even be even better with starship but um uh, well, I mean, first of all, like the the Raptor engine, so the the rocket engine that is supposed to power Starship, is already at a pretty late stage. So they have been developing that for a long time. Oh, they have and a new engine for that. Yeah, yeah, and and it's a pretty impressive one. It's a oh. full full flow stage combustion cycle. So it's it's um yeah, I mean the point is that it's quite efficient. It mm. uses much of the fuel. Um, like much of the the mass it combusts um, goes out of it at high velocity, meaning that it has a good uh, momentum to mass ratio, <laughs> so <Okay>. good velocity. <laughs> if you want, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's kind of weird because the efficiency is really the velocity. Um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, they they are pretty far with with uh, Raptor development. I wouldn't underestimate that. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I mean, it's it's. I guess it's too much of a stretch, and you should probably 
dig deeper into that uh, in another episode, actually, because it's quite interesting. But it's hard to say if they're ready with Starship by the mid-2020s. Yeah. But I don't think it really matters that much for Starlink. I just mm-hmm. think it, it would make it even easier. But it doesn't really... I just feel there are so many open questions though with Starship. Um, like, they don't really know how they're going to do the re-entry. Elon was talking about sweating metal so i think what he was saying is that they mm-hmm. would like um, have water pumping out through pores through the metal yeah so they would evaporative cooling exactly, yeah evaporative yeah. cooling um mm-hmm. so that sounds all very nice and fancy it's actually very yeah. old technology the romans used that to cool the wine um yeah but so they didn't they didn't fly to mars actually yes um, <laughs> but, but but they had like they had like um um so it's hard to compare that they had, they had pots and and, and and these pots would evaporate water uh, and and mm-hmm. that would cool the wine during the day, and so Elon was doing the same, but his wine bottle was a rocket ship. But I just like for me the the whole thing seems so crazy. It's like okay, they have an engine. Maybe I'm not a rocket scientist, but I feel like there's more to a rocket than the engines. And and the mm-hmm. whole thing like a single stage rocket is out of I don't know. It's it's, it's so revolutionary. If he had not landed um, rockets before, which nobody thought he would be able to do, and I also didn't think he would be able to do. I would just not take it seriously at all. But Elon or SpaceX, let's put let's say SpaceX is a bit of a special case. So you always have to have to give them the benefit of doubt um, because they've already surprised us once. Yeah, I mean that's also my feeling. And um, so this is really like I, I love the topic and I would love to dig deeper into that. <laughs> Are you um, telling me I'm going on a tangent? Yeah, is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes, yes. How <laughs> <laughs> did I mention that before? No, but uh, I think. Um, it's quite a nice tension to have and just <laughs> yeah. I mean I'm, I agree uh, I think especially like the fully reusability with re-entry from from like um, trans planetary injection speeds right so if you if you come from Mars you're pretty fast you're, you're faster than, than if you're just in low earth orbit yeah and what what Musk tries to do and what SpaceX tries to do is really build a fully reusable um, spaceship or a fully reusable upper stage, they call it Starship, that is able to re-enter from velocities coming from Mars or even from Moon. And this is just something, mm. I mean, it's really a stretch. Yeah. This is so crazy because if you'd asked NASA, they're saying, oh, you can't even have a multi-stage rocket fly to Mars and return, you need to put a rocket into orbit and then put another rocket into orbit and then put another into orbit and then reassemble those into a new rocket yeah. so you can actually go to Mars and have enough fuel to fly back. So they say that but this is SpaceX the plan, right? I mean, SpaceX plans to, re- I mean, not exactly, but they're trying to refuel Starship in orbit, which is, which is more or less the same, I would say. But the, the thing really is, uh, even one year ago, Spaceship was still trying to do the evaporative cooling thing. And back then I was a little bit more hopeful because it's really a new technology and maybe nobody thought of it. But now they are using heat tiles. <laughs> and if you, I mean, if you remember, I mean, of course, I, I mean, I totally agree. If yeah, anybody deserves benefit of the doubt, it's SpaceX. But just maybe to tone it down a little bit, heat tiles is also what was used for the space shuttle and what really made the space shuttle not reusable but extremely expensive yeah. um, to refurbish each time and also very dangerous. So yeah. it it's it remains unclear. We will have to see how that works out. So let's say they saw your capsule, like these capsules. They also have heat heat shields, right? 
the, these mm-hmm. are the two technologies. There are heat shields and there are, is the theoretical evaporative cooling, right? Or is there anything third available? Uh, there's a third thing, which is um, ablative cooling. So it's just burn stuff off, right? <laughs> yeah, it's just exactly. It's just some material that 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 I don't know that how, how to explain it. Just gets evaporated off. This is, for example, I think what the Dragon capsule from SpaceX uses right now. Okay. Um, don't quote me on this. I think that is they use that, and yeah, Soyuz is also using something similar. So. Yeah, right now you really have this evaporative, um, not evaporative, but ablative heat shields technology yeah. often used with, because, you know, it's quite cheap and it's quite safe, but it's, of course, not reusable. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's uh, the whole point. It's not reusable. <laughs> and, yeah, on the other hand, you have uh, heat tiles on the space shuttle. I don't know if actually there's another spacecraft using that right now. Um, so this, this is just ceramic heat tiles, and the point of them is just that they have enough heat capacity so they can heat up and cool down afterwards, or mm-hmm. even during re-entry. They are sometimes, I think SpaceX also tries to actively cool them. I'm not so sure about that, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, so those are the technologies. And, and yeah, you're right, every spacecraft needs a heat shield right now, but the point is really to make it reusable. And if yeah. you can't make that part reusable, um, yeah. yeah, refurbishment is of, of the heat shield is really expensive. This is the one thing we, we really learned from the space shuttle. Yeah, right? and what they do mm-hmm. with the Falcon 9 engines, or sorry, with the Falcon 9 uh, lower stages is that they don't actually get that fast, right? Because these are yeah, lower the, stages. The, exactly, so the, 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 the booster, so the first stage of the Falcon 9 and also Falcon Heavy, they are all only at suborbital speed. So they also have some type of heat shield at the bottom, but it's much less uh, capable. So the power of, of the heat coming from the braking at re-entry goes with a third uh, power of velocity, mm-hmm. right? Maybe. And um, I don't know. Yeah, because you have, you, you have velocity squared for energy and then times velocity because you get more... Um, you come through more oh, yeah. air mm-hmm. per time. Yeah, so um, this is really, like, it really, if you're really hitting a wall, right? If you're going mm. twice as fast, you have eight times as much heat per, per time unit. Yeah, so, so it really makes a difference. The first stage is a little bit slower. Mm. And um, actually, I think, like, it, it's a lot slower than than uh, the re-entry speed of an orbital vehicle. But still... Um, the point is that it doesn't need that much of protection. And mm. so, yeah, reusing the first stage is super hard and nobody thought it's possible um, just doing the the, um, the landing, right? Hitting that target so precisely and also getting this suicide burn correct. But, yeah, the reusability of an orbital vehicle of the upper stage, that's an entirely different story. And other than believing that SpaceX is just good at what they do, we don't really have much precedence to to uh, yeah to say that this is that this is going to be easy for them. So yeah, I, yeah, I agree. <laughs> and the fact that they actually switched the heat shield technology from evaporative cooling to heat tiles means mm-hmm. that they're also still in the experimental discovery phase, right? Yeah, yeah, they're they're thinking hard about that, and I mean. Space Shuttle had all kinds of problems that, I don't know, made it expensive. So it's entirely possible that uh, you can have 
uh, reusable ceramic heat tiles. But I mean, it, just because Space Shuttle wasn't able to do it doesn't mean that it's not possible. Yeah. Um, because it was really like very inefficient how it how it was done. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. So. Yeah. You know what's doing evaporative cooling every day? There's a um, launch of SpaceX. My hands. Yeah, that's Take right. <laughs> All right, which um, something like I don't think like ten minutes ago when we were still talking about the satellites um, and and uh, the constellation. Sorry, what's the name again of the SpaceX satellite constellation? Uh, Starlink. Starlink. Yes, because um, yeah, it's all the star, like SpaceX all star. Yeah, I mean, you can see them in the sky, so they're stars and they link you together. So it's a Starlink. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, also actually a major point of concern that they are like stars, but okay. I'm just maybe. foreshadowing, man. Like I'm <laughs> foreshadowing, we're getting there. Um, but <laughs> what I'm talking about is, um, um, you mentioned something before that it would also be commercially viable to start to launch them with Falcon 9, and this implies that it would be commercially viable. Do you think actually that will be commercially viable? Do you think there's enough business for SpaceX to run this huge satellite constellation? Just to put it again into perspective, very soon, even long before they are completing their constellation, they would be the biggest operator of satellites in the world. So do you think that's a business that runs, uh, like works out and, and you end up with a, with a you know, positive result in your balance? Yeah, I mean, um, of course, nobody really knows. SpaceX is a private company. They don't have to disclose so much of their, of their business. But yeah, the point really is that worldwide internet connection providing that um, we will have to see but it really sounds a little bit like a huge market <laughs> okay. and yeah but I mean just to put it into perspective like for example Verizon's revenue I think was something like 130 billion um, last year or two years ago just to give an order of magnitude estimate and of course, um, SpaceX isn't able to provide that huge number of customers. I mean, to serve that huge number of customers. But on the other hand, they can provide service to like, airplanes, ships, to remote areas where yeah, it's much higher value, right? And they can ask for higher prices. I just think, um, I mean, I, I would just say um, they've thought through this and I would just believe them that it's a business. I don't see any tactical reason for them to do it um, if if they don't believe it's going to be viable. I don't know. I think Musk is running his companies because he wants to see them build cool stuff. Sure, yeah. But I mean, I, I, what what I really, I mean, you, you you can say about Elon Musk all you want. Yeah. But exactly, that's he, what I was he's not he's not so much <laughs> he's not so much into into putting Starlink into orbit. I don't think he really cares about that. Oh, really? I, yeah, I, I really believe him when he says that he tries to fund, uh, yeah, his journey to Mars. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. So, but still, maybe he just sees it as the one project that will finance his journey to Mars, and Mars, yeah. and that's why he's doing it. But, but maybe there's just not. So, what SpaceX basically is doing is they are creating demand for their launches, right? So they yeah. say, okay, we have so many launches, the, the global launch market is limited. We want to make more money. We want to increase our revenue. So we create new demand. We go into a new market. We start providing internet services. So I think this may also still be wishful thinking that they want this to work out so they can have more revenue and go to Mars. 
I'm a bit skeptical. Yeah. Um, so I mean, you, uh, you mentioned Verizon before. Sorry. <laughs> you, mentioned, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> we talked about me interrupting you, but I see another pattern emerging here. <laughs> um, um, so, so I see um, Verizon uh, is a mobile network operator, right? They don't do uh, wired internet going into homes. They do for mobile phones in the United States. Is that correct? I'm not sure, actually. <laughs> Because I, 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 think, I think they are. So like if, maybe you com can compare to Comcast and so on. But I think something you touched on before is um, the market that SpaceX can address is really just those people who don't have a wire going to their house yet, right? Because the receiver um, that you will need to connect to Starlink is about the size of a satellite dish, um, maybe a little bit smaller. So it's something you can maybe put on a car, maybe on a truck. You're not going to put this... <laughs> On your backpack when you walk around the city right so you're still gonna need mobile phones that connect to mobile phone antennas uh, wherever you get your 4g and so what this is useful for is maybe mobile backhaul so going from the mobile antenna to a satellite so you don't have to connect your mobile antenna mm, mm -hmm. thingy to to a to a fiber backhaul but there you will probably have problems with throughput Or it's useful for people who don't have a wire going to their house yet. I think yeah. there's, a, there's a big problem in the United States right now where there's not enough competition in the internet market. I think in other countries it's similar. Um, so you have one provider, maybe a second provider, and they basically have agreed on price fixing and they both have very high prices. So SpaceX coming in there would probably for many people be an interesting alternative price-wise to switch over and uh, choose another internet provider using SpaceX. But what I think will happen is that these Comcast, anybody who has wires in the ground, they just reduce their prices because they can, because they don't have a lot of expenses connected to that, right? So they will reduce their revenue, they will earn less money, but it will end up being um, also impossible for SpaceX to follow suit. I think they will just price SpaceX out of the market. So where SpaceX will actually be able to retain customers long term are those that don't have a good connection through Comcast. And I think these are mostly rural people, uh, maybe remote areas, maybe ships and these other things, planes. And I think it's an interesting market. It's a big market. But I think this market Germany. is... <laughs> yeah, but in Germany, also, like in, I'm in Berlin, every house has a wire going through it, right? So, yeah, so if you have a wire, usually it's easier to put internet through it than going wireless. Yeah. Of mm -hmm. course, if SpaceX is very nice and very reliable, there may be regions which are wired today where it won't be worth it to start maintaining that and these people may switch to spacex because it's more economical um and um the internet providers will stop supporting these areas but i think in overall if you if you look at the big cities where the real money is for internet providers it will still be the old the old guild making the money and spacex basically is left um to collect the scraps where mm -hmm. um people rurally <laughs> or in germany <laughs> or in other countries where you have bad internet Uh, can connect to SpaceX. And I think it's a very interesting market. I think Iridium is making some money with it. I'm sure SpaceX can go, uh, can address a much bigger market than Iridium, but I don't think it's anywhere near um, the market that ISPs have today. I would rather look at Iridium, maybe take a factor 10 of that market and look at that revenue. I have my doubts if that's, if that's worth maintaining this huge constellation. Yeah, you're probably, you're probably right. And the Verizon comparison is a little bit weak. On the other hand, SpaceX is not the only um, player right now moving into this market. And mm. they are the only ones who are planning such a low-altitude um, constellation that is that huge with such a low latency. But this is also because they are just like 
they already offer the cheapest ride to low Earth orbit with Falcon 9. It's around yeah. 60 million, even for a customer or 70 or something around that. Um, and like when they're flying their own satellites, they just reuse the boosters over and over, right? So they already did it like four times in a row. And um, yeah, just, I mean, SpaceX really can bring the costs down for themselves. And even though other providers don't have access to that, like OneWeb and so on, and also um, Amazon, together with Blue Origin, is trying to to get a constellation up, which is still earlier in stage. <laughs> Bezos yeah, has, a, has a contract with Bezos, right? Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah exactly. or maybe it's not Bezos. Yeah. 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 But, but I mean, um, OneWeb is a lot more serious. They have their first operational launch, I think, in two weeks already. And they're actually launching on Soyuz rockets, oh. um, which is much, much more expensive. Yeah. <laughs> and just because they can't launch on Falcon 9. But they're geostationary? No, I think there there's something intermediate around okay. 1,000 kilometers. So it's, I don't know if that still counts as low Earth orbit, but it um, brings the number of satellites they need down dramatically. So they only will launch around five, 600, I'm not sure. So, <laughs> Which so is yeah, not an insane I, number, I, right? But yeah, it's much I lower. Agree, I agree, it's, it's a different business. But yeah. SpaceX is really like, it's it's insane how much cheaper they are, even the market prices they offer and i i mean i can't imagine how 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 cheap they are to themselves right yeah so i mean i don't know i would just like again benefit of the doubt i don't think spacex is moving into this because of weird emotions of elon musk i really think they think it makes economical sense because i don't think <laughs> elon musk is is pushing this as his personal project okay I uh, maybe I don't know. I yeah. think uh, we all uh, know. <laughs> yeah, sorry, we don't know. Sorry, <laughs> that's the end of the podcast. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's hard to say, right? And and we also we don't know how much it costs for SpaceX to run this thing, um, and and we don't know really how big the market is. Um, but I think another there's another business that SpaceX can go into, and that would be high frequency trading. So nowadays, if you want to connect. Um, a stock exchange let's say in moscow to new york you have to buy some fiber connectors or you put some microwave connectors up but there is no microwave connection going from moscow to new york and it's actually super interesting why they don't use fiber for these high frequency trading connections usually which is because in glass despite the uh, speed of light is just 0.7 c and in air it's 1c right <laughs> and this actually makes a significant difference so um there are high, high frequency trading firms especially in the united states and let's say from new york to i don't know la or something and they actually raise the fiber um through microwave tower connections and so this allows them to be faster um because they go actually go at light speed whereas the fiber goes as, at less than light speed and so they arrive faster at you know, the stock exchange and they can front run their competitors so if SpaceX is able to make a connection, let's say, between very far distant stock exchanges, Moscow, New York, Tokyo, um, and China, um, I actually don't know where the stock exchange is in China, and, and they're able to be faster than their competitors, then they can rent, uh, seek some rent from these high-frequency trading firms and extract <laughs> some value there, and they can use that to finance the rest of the network because they are potentially faster than fiber, um, assuming that the satellites are low enough. 
right? You can kind of do the mm -hmm. trigonometry and try to figure out how this works. Um, yeah. This is assuming that they actually do a satellite to satellite communication, that this is actually fast. Um, if you have to actually beam up from a satellite and a satellite then beams down to a ground station, of course, then it's not going to be faster, right? This only works if they have some kind of mesh networking between satellites. Yeah. And I think that's I a think, plan, right? I think that's the idea. Yeah. 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 I think that's the idea. Um, yeah, of course, you don't know how the relay time between the satellites are, right? If, yeah. if the laser signal from one satellite arrives, how much time it needs to go on. Yeah, but that's actually quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, make, it totally makes sense to launch 12,000 yeah. satellites to be split second faster. So. <laughs> yeah, it's so important for the economy. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah um, I'm really glad we're having this. You so. have to figure out the prices fast. <laughs> No, yes. but you know, you know, it's kind of insane. It's kind of insane to do mesh networking wirelessly with satellites. If you think about it, because if you if you just beam your stuff up to one satellite and then then it goes down to a base station, then you use bandwidth on one satellite, right? If you do mesh networking, all your videos mm -hmm. go through all the satellites, right? You use a, a factor, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight, ten of bandwidth if you're hopping through ten satellites. So this means mm -hmm. that you really must have a lot of bandwidth available or it must be really hard for you to have enough ground stations. It can be that yeah. this is the case for SpaceX because it may be that they have to launch so many satellites because they're going in such a low orbit that actually the bandwidth is not a limitation for them. But still, it seems kind of implausible. So I could imagine if I was to yeah. make a bet, I would bet that they will end up using ground stations um, and, and not use mm -hmm. um, this kind of mesh networking. And that would maybe they will use mesh networking just for these high frequency training cases so they are faster mm -hmm. in this case um but yeah. also that would require another set of technology right you would have to have transmitters and receivers that go satellite to satellite and that would be another expense i hope they will be successful as a business it would be amazing i think having the satellites in the air being able to get internet from any point in, on earth of course they will be forced to comply with regulations i'm sure china will require them to filter things according to the firewall if they are if they want to keep uh, if elon wants to keep his gigafactory in shanghai so <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm sure this won't be completely possible to to circumvent all censorship also having a receiver of course can be prevented but it's still a, a soft power right it makes it much easier to have access to a global internet and so a government has to work much harder to justify why you cannot access that but of course that would require it to be a commercial success and for me right now, I have a feeling they will launch a bunch of satellites and then they will do have some kind of initial initial run and maybe there will be technical problems or maybe they won't have enough customers, but I'm still very pessimistic. I think there are too many um, open questions, too many unknowns um, to, to, for me to be optimistic and say, okay, this is going to work out. I have some hope, but I'm actually skeptical. I, I know what you said um, that you think he wouldn't be doing that um, if he didn't think it was a good business. But I think also Elon can be wrong in terms of businesses. Uh, if you look at um, <gasps> Solar City, if you look at Tesla, I mean, okay, they're doing fine now, but um, <laughs> especially Solar City had to be rescued. So I, I, I don't think he's, he's unfailable. And um, I give him credit, of course, for, for doing what he did with SpaceX. But I don't think it should blind us from, from like obvious problems. And I think there are obvious problems with Starship. And I think there are problems with um starlink they're similarly named i never noticed yeah um everything with star yeah. <laughs> yeah but it would be nice it would be it would be a really big extension of the private business in earth orbit and um yeah so we were talking about this before the podcast there are basically three ways to make money in low earth orbit or in earth orbit 
Um, uh, one is like running satellite constellations for telecommunication, for TV, um, maybe weather satellites for weather services, but that's always already almost a government-sponsored thing. And so you can do things for the government, you can work for NASA, you can work for other research organizations, so you can make money in this way as a private company, or you can launch stuff for the Space Force, right? Or like other military applications, <laughs> like weather satellites <laughs> and then other, other things. So there are ways to nowadays as a private company to make money. And we wanted to also talk about the part of the business outside Earth orbit, right? So right now there's nothing there in terms of private business. You have companies um, maybe supplying NASA with equipment so they can fly to Mars. But as far as I know, there is nothing, not even a government contract going on outside Earth orbit. Is that correct? Yeah, sure. I mean, if you're Lockheed Martin, <coughs> you're able to sell NASA an Orion capsule for $1 billion each. <laughs> so that's yeah. actually quite a profitable business. <laughs> but is it flying, Orion capsule? No, no, no. Or is it? No, of course. That, that's... I mean, yeah, they, they tested it like four years ago, I think. Is that part of this space launch system thing of the NASA plan to go to the moon? Um, well, it's... It's not, it's not technically a part of it, but it will be used together, yeah? So Orion is the capsule used together with Space Launch System rocket um, uh -huh. with, with which they are planning to go to the moon and allegedly to Mars. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't like to go to Mars <laughs> inside the Orion capsule. I don't know. Why? You don't trust it? Well, no, it's just, like, it's way too small. <laughs> it's... Yeah. Oh, okay. It's it's for it's I, I think it's it's twice the diameter of the the Apollo capsule, not even that, which was mm -hmm. already quite cramped. So I'm not <laughs> sure. I, I don't think anybody at NASA believes that space launch system and Orion can be used for anything beyond the moon, and uh -huh. um, even using it for moon uh, won't be sustainable because it's just it's just so crazily expensive, and it's so um, crazily inefficient how it is organized just from a yeah business model point of view right um yeah it's 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 uh, i mean how expensive is it how expensive is it let's say in mm -hmm. in terms of a yearly united states military budgets how much is it <laughs> well yeah of course with that you can you can kill everyone i mean <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can one, always find a bigger number. Yeah, right? of course. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, against the military budget, of course, it it's, it pales, right? But um, uh, still, like I think NASA. Um, I don't know the number per year exactly, but I think they spent 17 billion on SLS so far. They expected to pay another two more for each year. So even mm. if they are very, very fast now, and they're doing nine or ten launches with the space launch, space launch, <laughs> space launch system. Yeah, it will come yeah. out at around two billion per launch, which is it's just crazy. I mean, just to put it into perspective, um, you can just literally buy a flight on, yeah, Falcon Heavy for, which is yeah, a slightly smaller rocket. And of course, I know it's not human rated. It's it's a totally uh, different game, right? It's it's also like it's it's really smaller, and it makes a difference if you go to the moon. Um, stuff is not linear in space, so you just can't compare like payload capacity. But it's 150 million, right? So it's it's really more than an order of magnitude more expensive, and I don't know. It just makes me sad. 
<laughs> so I think it's it's a hundred hundred fifty million. You said for for Falcon Heavy. I th- I mean I, all of magnitude, right? Don't name. Okay, name so that, okay, if you say if you say two hundred million, two billion, so it's a hundred times more expensive. Yeah, you can get a hundred Falcon Heavies for uh, um no for the for the cost of a launch of one space launch system. No, no, you can you can get more than ten. Ten, ah, awesome. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a hundred yeah. million. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's still fucking heavy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> Why is it so expensive? I think because it's 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 literally. I mean, it's basically um, it's basically the American government subsidizing um, legacy manufacturers of rockets, right? For example, it's basically of- communism, right? So you have yeah. <laughs> that's how I see it. Like you have you have you have some people working in a factory yeah. in every state where you have a senator, and so every senator makes sure that this factory gets money mm-hmm. and it produces things that are not worth the money that you're putting in, and um, and so these people have jobs. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's 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 in it's in capitalist America. It's 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 basically communism and and the way why this is is because um if nasa wants to continue existing it needs to provide a reason for a lot of senators to exist and most people in the senate they don't support nasa because it's cool to go to the moon they support nasa because nasa is creating creating jobs yeah, in their exactly. <laughs> in their states yeah. and so so basically it's it's a it's a big transfer from the federal budget into into the pockets of Lockheed Martin, Boeing, and and their employees in the states, mm-hmm. exactly. um, and so ev- and every everybody's rent seeking on the way, and nobody cares about what get, what gets done as long as the factories um, get paid, as long as the companies get money, as long as the workers are employed, and um, I'm sure that it would be much cheaper to just pay each of them a basic income yeah. <laughs> and let them figure out other things. <laughs> but, but of course, that would be socialist, right? That would be socialist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. Uh, I mean, I, I I don't like to be that cynical, but I think that that it's really how it is. So I don't think it's cynical. And um, the the point is really that the the, the way the co- the contracts are structured. I mean, it's really obvious that this is how it works because um, the contractors are really getting paid per time they are working on the project. Uh-huh. In in the end, they get some money for the product, right? I mean, NASA actually has to buy the product in the end. Yeah. But in the meantime, they are funding the development like a research project. So um, the manufacturer has no incentive whatsoever to be fast, but um, they have every incentive to be slow. <laughs> so yeah, in the end, it's it's expensive, right? <laughs> it's like Surprise. it's like a I mean. contract where I say um, you give me a dollar and I give you how much money you tell me. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's quite a good contract, and that's, this is also why, I don't know, Lockheed Martin has, I, I think I just read a random number today, but I think they have around 17% operating profit, which is, I mean, it's quite it's quite a good business, but <laughs> but it's not actually a business, right? That's the point, it's subsidized. And yeah, it's a sign of a rent-seeking monopoly. Yeah, and yeah. this is quite sad, because it puts a... It's also a bad image for, for space flight in general, right? Because yeah. yeah, of course, you won't go to the moon if it if it's three billion dollars each time. You won't. No, but if no nobody wants to go to the moon because once you go to the moon the payout stops happening, right? Yeah. I mean I I'm I'm sure NASA wants to go to the moon. I'm sure there are people there who are <laughs> idealistic. Um But yeah. I mean every time you work with external contractors it's a nightmare and if you pay them by the hour 
And if you have no long-term leverage where you can kick them out of the next contract, mm-hmm. you're, you're, and, and you're the government, and they know that you want to keep paying for them because otherwise yeah. Yeah. they will, they, they will uh, cut the jobs. It's, it's completely regulatory capture. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fact. So for us who want to go to the moon, who don't want to play these games, are there any other nations who want to go to the moon? Are there any other private companies? I know India had sent a, a rover. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit fast during landing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but still, I mean, I don't. I mean, it's really like uh, if you read up uh, how much money they spend on it, that's that's yeah. efficient governing, right? That's <laughs> that's how you do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I respect that. I respect that they they tried, and I'm sure they will do better the next time. And and it's it's super nice that India is doing this, and I'm sure China is also working on plans. I think China announced that they want to pe- put people on the moon as well. Yeah, I think so. And um, yeah, of course, uh, uh, what's the offer is trying to get Bavaria on the moon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, there are moments in history, or there are moments in my life where I'm like. I doubt my sense of reality. <laughs> and I like to do this podcast because I like to think that I have a, like a good grasp of what's realistic and what isn't realistic and that I can kind of distinguish good news from fake news and that I'm able to like have a realistic view on the world. And then there are these news where I'm like, yeah, no. Yeah. There's no fucking way there is a... <laughs> There's a Bavarian space mission. <laughs> Bavaria it's, one. Called ba- it's called Bavaria, Bavaria One. They're <laughs> 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 going to bring Vice Force and the Gates and the Moon. And like the logo was also very silly. <laughs> yeah, wait, let me find the logo of this Bavaria One thing. Is yeah, I'm not. I didn't dream that. It's actually yeah. the head of Marcus Söder on the logo, right? <laughs> 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 you have to Google that. It's. It's. I was sure it's a parody. This is incredible. <laughs> Google Bavaria one. You have literally you have the face of a Bavarian politician in blue on a on a black backdrop with some stars behind and then a circle around like like these kind of mission <laughs> logos. <laughs> it says Bavaria one. It really looks like a Superman logo from the thirties. It looks. I don't know. It looks ridiculous. Know it looks like. Yeah. So, okay, they're not going to go to the moon. Well, That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I kind of like the effort. I try to be not that cynical about it, right? Because they're, they're still, like, they're trying to be innovative. and But, yeah, yeah it's it's just too much of an endeavor. For I mean, Bavaria is the greatest country in Europe. <laughs> sure, that's that's for sure. But, um, so... <laughs> it's so, I mean, I, look, I respect every space effort. I respect it. Mm-hmm. Even if it's for personal gain, I don't care. Space is too important. But... This is just silly. Yeah, the way it looks. Yeah, I mean, they should really. I mean, that, that that's what's what Germany is doing, right? They're investing in ESA, but um, yeah. they don't do their own thing. It's just too much of an ende- endeavor. Uh, ESA is actually not trying to go to the moon. They're more doing the uh, scientific telescope stuff <laughs> and all that. Mm-hmm. But um, also, their their budget is much lower than NASA's. But that's another that's another topic. Maybe um, okay. we can talk a little bit about other private endeavors to go past Earth space. Of course, Jeff Bezos is trying to do what Elon Musk does. <laughs> so yeah. he founded his own space company, and mm-hmm. they're trying to go. Uh, I mean, they're they're building a moon lander, which very much resembles the Jeff Apollo. Bezos. 
Ja, exactly. Ich weiß es, ja. Markus Söder und I don't understand why that it's weird. Yeah. <lacht> yeah, so the, um, yeah, Blue Origins is trying to build a moon lander. They are explicitly trying to sell to mostly to NASA, right? Mm. And NASA, I think, I think they're trying to roll this back now already. I mean, Congress is just too, too fast on this. Um, but like the status two months ago was that they are trying to build a station in the Lagrange point of the moon earth system. So somewhere mm. uh, near the moon <laughs> basically yeah. and doing stuff there and also going to the moon surface from there and blue origin wanted to provide a lander for this. And you couldn't, you could call this private business beyond earth orbit, but I'm not I'm not so happy with with that classification because I think it's still government subsidized. It's not it's not yeah. privately uh, inherently working out, right? I, I agree. I mean, it's it's a bit different than let's say Lockheed Martin because because I th I think Blue Origin is not paid by the hour. Exactly, they're selling right? the product, which is <laughs> a huge step forward just because they actually incentivize to do good yeah. and affordable product. But, yeah. They take some responsibility yeah. for the thing and they believe in that they can produce something uh, other than Lockheed Martin who's basically like, well, I don't know, just give me money and I'll figure out if I can do something. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Let me see if I have something to sell. You just give me some money. Um, but um, so, yeah, I bet I agree. It's not really private. And I think the Starship from Elon Musk, um, he also wants to fly to the moon with it, mm -hmm. even though he doesn't really want to go to the moon. But whatever. I mean, if you have yeah, it, right, well, why mean, not? Yeah, it's just yeah. that. I didn't mean to, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a plan. But, okay, so they want to go there as well. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that would be a, a private flight, but I think it would be mostly space tourism. Yes. Because in the end, it's, it's serving Elon, right? I mean, just like Tesla and any other yeah. company run by Elon, it's serving Elon and also the rest of the world. So well, I'm, yeah, not I mean, I'm not hating. I'm not, I'm not hating. hating. No, no, no. Okay, so if you look at tourism more broadly, do you th do you think there will be a significant like amount of space tourism beyond Earth orbit or even in Earth orbit? We have it already, right? Like you have people going on Soyuz capsules or you have people going to the International Space Station paying for it. So there's some amount of space um, tourism i'm not sure if that i i mean that that has happened sometimes but it's not on a regular basis so that has happened historically but i don't think if you want to go to space now you can pay it you can do it um there's uh. there's virgin galactic trying to <laughs> yeah they're saying that they go to space but to quote i think scott man decided that those versions haven't even penetrated orbit yet <laughs> so i mean what, what what they do is they they um i think it's called launcher one i'm not sure um, um but it's it's basically yeah a jet on steroids it's it oh. actually has a rocket engine it's, it's not a jet i'm sorry it's it's a rocket but um yeah it has wings and it goes above the carbon line which is commonly accepted as being in space and yeah you're in in zero g for i don't think so much time but five or ten minutes and mm. this will be i think this will be available to customers in two or three years it's probably um mm. safe to say that but um other than that i don't think there's any tourism right now there was another company who did that before right they also had this kind of plane that they would send into space and then land again 
and I don't think they ever did it, but they were planning to do it. Mm, I'm not I remember, sure. I, were, mm. I remember reading about it like ten years ago in Technology Review, and they had uh. kind of <laughs> cool bullet eyes and their airplane. Uh. So I'm sure it happened. Well, um, the, the, the 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 thing with bullet eyes, that's actually the the Virgin Galactic one. But okay, oh, of no, course, I mean, I they, they all have bullet eyes. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <Forget> that. <laughs> yeah, this plane with the circular windows—that that's a Boeing. I recognize. Um, no, maybe maybe they took over. Um, I'm not sure. Okay, but I'm not informed. I'm just talking out of yeah. thin air here. Um, yeah, me, me neither. Okay, but so if you define space tourism as something where you can actually be on a space station and not have like you don't have like a, like a ballistic orbit, mm-hmm. but you have an actual orbit. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that that that's what actually Virgin Galactic does. They have a ballistic thing where you don't actually go into an orbit. You're not fast enough yeah, to yeah, yeah. stop falling to the Earth, but you actually fall back to the Earth. Yeah, yeah. they they they're very suborbital. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So <laughs> if you go ah, that's suborbital. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but if you go into an actual orbit, you're saying that basically it's up to um, NASA or international space organizations to allow you a free seat on a capsule or to allow you a free seat on the space station and and that's not something you can just book on, online yeah no and i'm not sure but i think they did just like i don't know 20 years ago and maybe are planning to do this in five years so it's not it's not like regularly happening happening because yeah this is just not what what the international space station is for right and it's no. it's much too expensive to sell it for any price okay but this is still not beyond earth orbit Mm-hmm. Um, yet, I still want to give a prediction on that. I think it will be more popular. I think we'll have more billionaires in the future than ever. I think the world is becoming even more divided. Um, okay, we have a bigger middle class, but we also have this much richer billionaire class, um, mm-hmm. which is growing. And I think they will uh, end up having enough billionaires who want to say to their friends that they have been to space. And I think there will be, in 20, 30 years, uh, a way to get into space, stay on a space station for a while. And then get back. Maybe actually that's what's gonna happen to the International Space Station. <laughs> It'll be sold to a private company who then does the space tourism. That's a prediction that I'm willing to make. But do you think we will see any kind of business outside uh, the orbit? Um, maybe also something that's not tourism mm-hmm. in the next thirty years. I think I think there are, there are four different I would say domains where people are dreaming of getting to now right and this is on the one hand space stations that are can be all over the place right not only in earth orbit but also like in cislunar space and yeah basically that's it <laughs> but <laughs> it can also be in, in mars orbit or in venus orbit yeah yeah and it's 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 probably much less complex to just go to a space station in mars orbit and to actually land um yeah, and I don't know. I mean, maybe let, let's start with space station. So we already talked about tourism. Maybe, just maybe, we will see some defense or strategic applications for that. But like that, a nuclear weapon behind the moon. Yeah, no, so. not, not really. But I mean, I'm kind of, I don't know. But I, I, I guess you can't really assume that the moon is going to be a um, strategically contested area anytime soon so yeah maybe let's drop that <laughs> so uh, let's talk yeah, about but the maybe there's a way like for a military strategy where you're like oh yeah but we need to have some nukes if they nuke us so we can nuke them back you know like this mutually assert destruction thing mm-hmm. and so if you can have a weapon in a place where others cannot reach it maybe that's in deep space 
And so you can be like, oh yeah, but if you kill us, well, two days later you will be killed. Yeah, and so, that's right. So that can be an interesting thing. I I don't currently see how how you'd be able to do that without actually um, being open to countermeasures where your nuclear weapon could also be intercepted. So I, I don't I don't think actually that's a realistic thing. But yeah, there may be more military even in outer space. Mm-hmm. Um, but because military is usually the first thing that arrives. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <go somewhere. laughs> but I mean, maybe let's talk about nice business. Look, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so mutually assert, uh, asserted destruction has caused a lot of stability in the world. Yeah, so that's far. right. Uh, so far. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fingers crossed. But um, yeah, so I mean, there's a lot of talk about the moon possibly being useful uh, in the context of mining helium-3, which uh, yeah. is a fuel that could be used in fusion reactors to produce unlimited ab- abundant energy on Earth. Um, I but don't, don't you have helium-3 on Earth as well? You do, but uh, you have less of it. And um, I think the main reason is that the moon is getting constantly bombarded with solar wind and there's no, no atmosphere to kind of distract from it and no magnetic field. And all that kind of stuff. So on Earth, it's it's kind of hard to to get to the helium three. It's hidden somewhere. <laughs> so no, I think it's just a small. I think it's actually everywhere in water, right? You just have to extract it. It's a very small. Yeah, uh, it's a small percentage, like two percent only. No, it's definitely less than twenty percent. So it's yeah. incredibly small. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I think I think on the moon it's actually that the the concentration on the surface is higher, because the moon is actually not protected from solar wind at all, and um, I think that plays a difference if I'm not mistaken. Um, on yeah, so there are people who think that the moon could be a valuable place to mine helium three. Um, I mean, for me, I'm I'm a optimistic futuristic guy <laughs> so but I, I think that's that your tinder profile yeah, i mean i just I, I like i like that kind of stuff but that that's just too much of a stretch for me i mean fusion reactions i'm not i'm not assuming that to arrive anytime soon <laughs> flying to mars sure yeah. finding stuff on moon no problem fusion no, <laughs> no. yeah i mean it's just it's just a combination right it's too much i mean you, you have to oh, assume yeah. fusion reaction and you have to assume affordable space travel and you have to assume it's somehow easier to get it from the moon than from the ocean yeah exactly Which, and and yeah i mean you have to comb through a lot of regolith and it's like it's already clear that this is going to be hard. So there's just too much to solve from 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 my taste, and um, that I can believe in that happening anytime soon. And also, I, for me, it's not entirely clear that we need fusion. Um, to be honest, as long as we solve the storage problem, <laughs> maybe of new yeah, renewable energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be nice to have it, and um, but yeah, yeah. Oh, you mean the storage problem of 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 um, nuclear energy? Uh, no, of no, no, of, of uh, renewables. Okay, yeah. because you could also solve the storage problem sure. of um, spent uh, fission fuel, and then you also can do more fission. That's that's true. Yeah, or maybe you can you, you can develop other fission, so subcritical fission reactors and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Boobiatron. Actually, I've become more open to that option in the recent years. Yeah, yeah. So I But mean, that's another podcast. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> um, we're sticking to outer space. Yeah, it's full of tangents yeah. today. So maybe I mean, let's just. I mean, we have to do some assumptions, and my assumption is that this is not going to happen. Helium three is not something we will need to moon for, or if we need it at all. Mm. What do you think? Does it make your voice very high? Yeah, <laughs> because that would be worth it. But it's helium three, so making it's a bit heavier. I think it's yeah. I think three is the number of neutrons, right? So it should be oh. heavier. Yeah. I mean, it's it's. I mean, instead of two neutrons, you have three. I think. I think yeah. I think you have two neutrons in a helium. If that's your question right now, I think. I yeah. Think no, that's, like that. that's that's. <laughs> I thought it was your question. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're I was a not asking. physicist, right? <laughs> uh, I was, I was, I was. It's been over. It's over. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Is that a thing? Will we mine the moon for helium three? No, I don't think. Okay. I don't think it's the case. Let's move on. Is there anything <laughs> other interesting on the moon? Maybe aside from dust. Yeah, I mean, or, there, or there's some. I mean, there, there's also like this um, this point people make with providing fuel from the moon because I think we know that there's water. I think we know it, or at least we have. Good reason to believe it, but I actually think we know. Yeah. And um, I mean, people are saying that a business model for the moon would be to provide fuel for other missions. But this is really, I mean, this, is really, this requires this, other missions. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's quite ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's like saying, um, I don't know, you can just move to the desert. And I mean, so, you know, I, I will move to the desert. Okay, what's your job there? Well, I will just build a gas station for everybody moving to the desert. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. just, but actually, it's not a, actually, it's not I, think, I think that, I think the desert is a very nice metaphor for outer space or maybe Antarctica, because I think, I think just because you can go somewhere, doesn't mean it's actually worth it. Right. And, and yeah. so for me, it, it's not, it's not obvious um, that let's say just because it will be cheaper to go to outer space, like it's now cheaper to go to Antarctica, that actually it will be worth doing a lot of business there. It can just, could just turn out to be not worth it. Exactly. Now, there, there are some things, um, for example, actually in Antarctica, there are two very nice businesses. One is uh, tourism. The other one is actually satellite ground stations. Oh, um, uh-huh. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I read an interest, uh, no, I heard an interesting podcast. Um, it's called Extremities. Stuff. Uh, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So in this podcast called Extremities, they talk about um, Svalbard, which is an island very north, almost at the North Pole, and they have they have tourism and they have satellite ground stations. Because if you have polar orbits, you need to have ground stations where mm-hmm. you can see the satellite when it's o- over the poles, right? And so you need to have people down there manning these stations, and this is a business. Anyways, what I'm saying is that um, there was a time when we couldn't go to Antarctica, and there was a time when we couldn't go to outer space. Now there's a time where we can go to Antarctica. It's a bit painful, it's a bit expensive, but it's not like impossible, right? So what you see is some amount of tourism and some niche industries. But it's not obvious to me that there is necessarily going to be an industry that's worth it in outer space. So I think the one that we haven't touched on yet, maybe asteroid mining, like you get resources uh, from, from very metal-heavy asteroids. I don't think the moon has a lot of metal apart from the Indian lander. <laughs> oh, <burn>. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to get that one in, um, but uh, but there there are some asteroids which are <laughs> have a very high metal content, and uh, yeah, I mean there are also other landers that have are there on the moon. Uh, anyway, so there mm-hmm. there are asteroids that have a lot of metal. Um, some of them I I read are eighty percent iron. Now it's not, probably not going to worth it to fly to an asteroid and start mining it to get back iron to the Earth. <laughs> um, because probably you also already have <laughs> steel in your spaceship. 
but um, they also have other um, precious metals, such as uh, all these names. I wrote it down. Platin oh, okay, and I know platinum, and our gold, and there are other rarer metals um, that you can mine. And so there are people saying, and there are actually some private enterprises already um, springing up who say, okay, it's worth it to actually fly there, and pick up some ore, some metal-rich stones, and carry the whole stones back to Earth, and then at, on Earth. Um, extract the metals from there mm -hmm. or actually there's the other way that you go there and you build a ore smelting <laughs> factory on an asteroid but actually i'm not even finishing that sentence because that's insane like <laughs> bringing a whole factory to an asteroid <laughs> having the kind of energy requirements that you need to have um electric arc smelting um on an asteroid i don't think that works out but that would be interesting for me what you think about about the economics of of getting metal from an asteroid How expensive is it to really get a kilogram from there? Yeah, actually, just just one 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 thing I just saw. I mean, isn't like um, refining metal on Earth is much based on gravity, right? You melt stuff down and then it separates based on its density. Isn't that? I mean, I have, I have no idea. I was just imagine that. that that's Maybe. Um, I mean, you could have... <laughs> it's just really hard to do in space, right? <laughs> so I would have to come up with. New stuff, or I don't know, your centrifuges, and I've not. Yeah. yeah, you have a centrifugal furnace, and in in the middle you have like a like a electric spark, and it's heating up your metal, and then it's flowing to. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, well maybe it's not gonna happen. Yeah. Not gonna happen anytime soon. No, not in our lifetimes. Yeah, I I would agree. Let's let's maybe just patent that. Um, just to be sure, anyway. But <laughs> <laughs> so. the centrifugal furnace. Actually, I'm sure this is possible. Why? Sure, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, everything's possible. We have semiconductors, yeah. so um, so I made this very crude estimate, and it's probably pretty bad. So let's let's maybe just talk about the business of bringing an asteroid um, somewhere near Earth, uh, so somewhere maybe not too near Earth, just to be safe, somewhere in moon orbit or I don't know like launch point or that kind of stuff yeah. right you don't want it to turn into a meteoroid right yeah. that would be <laughs> oh wow <laughs> um, so yeah once you have it there you can mine it and then you can bring back valuable um, resources to earth and so the first part of it was actually there are some pretty good numbers on that because this is actually something NASA plan planned like I don't know, three hours ago <laughs> before the plans were changed. <laughs> so, no, but actually under the Obama administration, NASA planned to do, I don't know what the name was, but they planned to capture a near-Earth asteroid and bring it into the Lagrange point of the Moon-Earth system and then just do scientific stuff with it, not actually mine it. And there was do scientific stuff with it, like yeah. poke at it. Yeah, just poke at it. <laughs> Drill into it. Yeah. See how, if there's actually metal. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, asteroids are quite interesting, right? They come from outside our solar system. Sometimes, probably not in near Earth orbit objects. Yeah. I have no idea. No, no, no. But, yeah. I'm not hating, but I also think the main purpose of this mission would be to just try if you can do it. Yeah, yeah. Pick And up the asteroid. Yeah. So, so, so there was a Caltech study who estimated that it would cost like in 2012 dollars. It would cost. 2.6 billion to bring a 500-ton asteroid to cislunar space, which, I th if I'm not mistaken, can mean anything beyond Earth orbit and not far away than middle moon. <laughs> so, um, yeah, 
uh, maybe I'm not entirely wrong on, uh, right on that, but but I think what they tried to do was to go to um, the Lagrange point. And yeah, so that's around eight thousand dollars per kilogram. Um, no, it's actually three, right? And um, no, it's five. Okay, I'm sorry. That's five dollars. That's five thousand dollars per kilogram around, right? That's, so that's super cheap. Yeah, that's, that's super cheap. That's really cheap, and I think they try to use solar sails to move the to actually move the asteroid that they wanted to do so, that. So um, it would take a while, yeah. Yeah, and of course you have to find an, an asteroid that doesn't have such a high relative velocity to the Earth Moon system, right? So you don't have mm. to put in so much acceleration. And um, yeah, so uh, let's just say that's about right. And I mean, it doesn't sound so realistic if a single space launch system launches two billion. <laughs> but let's just say they have some type of efficient machinery. And that's, I think, for our purposes, that's a quite reasonable number. 5,000 euro per kilogram. Then Yeah, it's probably like 2.5 billion for Lockheed Martin for the rocket <laughs> and like 100 million for the students who are building the machinery to bring this up. <laughs> yeah, now, now you're being cynical, Constantine. Uh, so yeah, once once you have this, you have to mine the asteroid and bring the stuff back and yeah, I don't know how much that is. Um, I'm just, just to, I don't know, to, just to put in some numbers, we can assume to, uh, just to get the order of magnitude right now it's around three thousand euro uh, dollars to launch uh, one kilogram of payload into low earth orbit and of course you're not in low earth orbit but you're in lunar space but on the other hand you launch empty spaceships to the asteroid and you bring them back full and mm. um, like dissipating energy is from an engineering point of view it's hard it's it's hard uh but it's not it's not actually um, expensive to do so because you can just break using the atmosphere, right? So yeah, I don't know. Maybe for an order of magnitude estimate, it's safe to assume, or it's it's not safe, but it's okay to assume <laughs> that it's three thousand more dollars per kilogram. So then we would be at eight, right? Eight thousand dollars per kilogram um, to mine an asteroid. Uh, so. This is more or less um, using today's technology, and now you can do the math and just uh, look up some numbers. And you already touched on this. Um, check which metals would be actually worth more than eight thousand dollars per kilogram, and that's actually not that that many metals, right? <laughs> and also, yeah. they would have to be perfectly uh, perfectly pure, and it's yeah, ba basically I mean just platinum and gold. Yeah, you made the list here. I think it's 30k for platinum, 47k for gold. Mm -hmm. So if you're able to to bring, um, it's like uh, 47 is like six times eight, roughly, right? So yeah. so if you have if you have more than a sixth of your asteroid would be gold, then you would be theoretically at break even, bringing it home. Mm -hmm. I don't think there is any asteroid out there who has more than a sixth of gold. I know there are some asteroids who are like, I'll have a lot of iron, um, and have. I just was researching like for 20 minutes before this show and I, I read some different numbers, but I think it's about 10% of iron content. I I assume if they have gold, it's not going to be 10%. So it's going to be less. I, I think that there was this one who was really hyped for having a lot of gold. I don't know yeah. what, if, if it was sure 
that that's the case or if it was just <laughs> I don't know that it was just an, yeah. an assumption um, and also I don't know how pure it would have been yeah I, I mean you also have to take into account this this um, capture technology it really only works for near earth orbit uh, near earth objects and it's not so clear to anyone um, how I mean how many asteroids you can find near earth i mean in a in a dynamic sense near earth right so on a, mm. on a similar trajectory um on a delta v scale yes exactly um that are that valuable and i mean yeah. it was basically need to be pure gold and <laughs> okay so so we kind of really don't know what what asteroids are composed of like we kind of try to do some research but we're not really super sure mm. um so we talked about asteroids Uh, we talked about um, we talked about the moon, helium three mining. We talked about space stations and tourism. In German, you say let's put Buddha by the Fischer. Um, I think um, <laughs> yeah. uh, I think in English it's like when push comes to shove. Do you believe that there will be an operationally profitable business working beyond Earth orbit in the next 30 years? I have my opinion made. What do you think, Ingmar? I'm 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 starting to see the pattern that I'm always a little bit more re optimistic. Um, obviously, we just crunched the numbers and we found out that uh, basically nothing really works. <laughs> um, but but our assumption, especially for the asteroid thing, was that um, we are more or less at today's launch costs, right? And um, I just hope that. Uh, We will have, I don't know if it's going to be Starship or some some other technology, but I just hope that we will have a fully reusable rocket within the next 30 years. And when we're at this point, this will really change the economics of going to space, right? It's, it's more than an order of magnitude that this will lower prices. So yeah. for Starship, I don't know, an Elon estimate <laughs> is that it would be around $80 per kilogram compared to right now, 3,000. And 10 years ago, when there was no SpaceX at all, it was at 10K per kilogram. So yeah. this is, of course, too low Earth orbit, and yeah, everything's more expensive going to the moon. But I'm just, to me, it seems like, naively looking at this, it seems like such a small problem just to build a reusable spaceship that is able to enter from orbital velocities. Um, And once you have solved that, we are pretty sure that we can undercut current prices by one and a half, maybe two order of magnitudes. And um, even if it's just one, just different stuff becomes accessible. And yeah. I, I, I just hope that this is going to happen. And if that's happened, I think it's not an unrealistic point of view to say that then it becomes viable to mine asteroids. And so I'm going with the mining asteroids thing. I also think that there's going to be some tourism, but I mean, let's just be honest, that's not that interesting. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're right. I'm always more pessimistic. And that's interesting for me because I often come around to be more optimistic after we call, after we talk. So I, I was sure there is nothing going to be beyond Earth orbit. And then I thought maybe, yeah, tourism could be somebody flying to the moon. And now I think you make a good case for asteroid mining. Yeah, so, um, if you just interpolate from today's technology, no, right? But if you assume that there is going to be some improvement, yes, um, it could be. 
right? I, I always like to think of outer space like Antarctica, right? Just because you can go there doesn't mean that you want to go there. And I think outer space will be similar to Antarctica, that not many people will go there. But there are oil rigs in the Arctic cycle, right? And the Arctic circle. And, and they're profitable. And so maybe that's a good proxy also, how this will work. Mm-hmm. Do you think we'll go to Mars? Yeah, but just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't. I really, I really don't see the business model of going to Mars. I mean, it's just, it's just. I mean, for everything that we know, it's just a wasteland. I mean, it's we can yeah. find water there. Well, wow, we can find water on Earth um, if you're fast enough and don't get radioactive, yeah, poisoning. Sure, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I think Mars is again a case of. I mean. Just, I mean, maybe become uh, about a little bit cynical. I'm a huge fanboy of everything that SpaceX does. I would, I would die to see people stepping on Mars, but I don't think there will be a business on Mars. I mean, I, I just don't see why. Um, I don't think that everybody, anybody is, is really thinking that this would, that this will happen. Um, yeah, on Mars there's just nothing to do really, right? You can create fuel and you mm. can hang out. Do you think there's going to be like a colony on Mars with people having children on Mars in the next 100, 200 years? Mm. Uh, uh, no, I don't think so, no. I mean, I hope that there will be a scientific station which is mm. reasonably cheap to supply. Again, due to my assumption that launch costs will dramatically decline, um, or to not assumption, but my hope. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can live on Mars if you're underground in some radiation vault, and I think there's scientific reason to do so, but I, I don't see why you should move there. I mean, as you said, why? I mean, you don't move to Antarctica, right? Yeah, and it's it's much more it's a much better place to be <laughs> because yeah. I mean the the floor is actually not poisonous and you can breathe the air and you're not bombarded by um, high energy particles. So. Particles. Yeah, I'm also not exactly sure what's flying around there. Yeah. Um, I should I should know, but I don't. Um, yeah, that that's a, that's the main thing that we've been like talking about implicitly right now on Mars is that yeah, you don't have a magnetic field and you don't have an atmosphere, and both of these on Earth are protecting us from radioactive yeah radiation wind, I, as I'm, uh, from from particles <laughs> i should know this <laughs> i should so know this but i I've, I've i left the field for a reason um so there's stuff flying around okay and it doesn't hit you on earth and it hits you on mars and that's why that's why on mars um if you stay outside for many years uh you have a very good chance of getting cancer um even for for uh, two or three years and um so if you go underground, of course, you can put yourself into, under, under some rocks. But then what's the point of being on Mars? Um, you can also do that on Earth. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do. And, um, uh, of course, what you can do, you can put some shields above you, like some lead shields, but have fun getting that into space. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I hope that there will be a scientific colony. I'm not excluding the possibility that we will find a way to build very big spaceships and send a lot of people on a journey into outer space. Maybe not to Mars, but maybe to some other solar system. You could imagine that mm-hmm. happening at some point. And there is, there is this interesting 
um, property of relativity that if you reach closer and closer to light speed, um, you can actually travel arbitrary um, distances in the universe in finite time, right? Even in a human's mm -hmm. lifetime, if you yeah. accelerate enough. That's actually um, quite, quite interesting because I think that's a common misconception that you can only yeah. reach objects with speed of light. I mean, when you're yeah. on Earth, I mean, yeah, as you just said, I mean, when you're on Earth, it, it takes, like, it takes, somebody else can only travel in your system the speed of light, but once you're moving yourself, time is slower for yourself, so, yeah, yeah, as you just said, yeah. That's one way of putting it, or another way of putting it is that if you're going towards something very fast and you add energy to it, you're going to go towards it faster. Yeah. Well, no, that's not a good argument, but... Let's put it like this, yeah. Well, yeah, but, but, Time but, but the point is that, 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 that it is like that, right? So the speed you arrive at something really is, is, is monotonically increasing with, with the energy you put into it. Yeah. It's quite interesting, right? In, in your frame of reference, you sure. can always accelerate yeah. towards something. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get there faster. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody you know is that, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think humans are crazy like that. I'm sure there will be people doing that. If, if you would be able to furnish a... Uh, a, st a starship like that but mm. I'm not, I don't see that happening in my lifetime um, just because um, you would need hmm, I, you would need enough acceleration right to get somewhere in a human's lifetime right mm -hmm. even if you have this kind of spaceship and you know that if you go fast enough you can get anywhere you need to get to the right speed you need to put the right energy into that so you need a lot of energy and I don't know if you just uh, if you just have a solar sail that's an interesting question imagine you put a human into outer space and you put a solar sail behind that human of like a I don't know, reasonable size and you just keep accelerating how far can you go in your lifetime i don't mm -hmm. know well i think um, i think at least you can't you can't get to arbitrary speed right because the pressure you're receiving is like when you're when you're moving away from the sun the pressure you're receiving is declining like one over r squared Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I would, I mean, if you integrate that, this this is not, this is finite. I don't know. You would have to, yeah, to crunch the numbers. But but I think <clears throat> I think like you can't you can't just like use a solar sail to get to to arbitrary speed. Yeah, it's finite because in the same way, like the gravitational pull of a planet is um, going to zero if you go farther away from it. It's also yeah. one over r squared. Yeah, right? exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah. That's, you can see it like this. Yeah. Okay. So, predictions for the next one thousand years. Are we gonna go <laughs> <laughs> live on other planets as human species? Um. I mean, I'm more I'm more an advocate of like we get our shit together. Life on Earth is better. We use resources from other places, but going to like flying around in the solar system is just it's just something that you don't do if you don't have to I don't know my humans are crazy like that yeah. but I don't see any place where we can go I, even Mars um, yeah maybe we can start terraforming Mars in like uh, 300 years mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And we will have some experience with terraforming Earth. Sure, yeah. <laughs> we will need to. <laughs> with Mars forming Earth. <laughs> if, yeah, I mean, yeah, first Venus forming Earth. And then uh, if, if we are still there in 300 years, we will have formed it back maybe. Yeah. And so we can apply similar experiences to Mars. And maybe then if you have an atmosphere on Mars, then... Or me- then maybe, we can maybe we learn to adapt to Earth and then we can just live on Venus. Like vanilla yeah. people can live on Venus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So I, I can imagine that, like that, some people will really actually live on Mars, and there will be terraforming on Mars. But this is something like so out there that, yeah, it's yeah. it's probably thousands of years away or hundreds of years, and there is a good chance we will be that as a species in within that time frame. Unfortunately, so if I had to bet on it, I would say no, but. I want to be hopeful, so I say, yeah, sure, we will do that. And I think humans are like that. They don't need a reason to go out into space. They just do it because they can. And that makes us very special as a species. I mean, there, there are also people living in Antarctica right now, right? For all different reasons. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, I Scientific agree. missions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but also, like, I mean, of course, they're, 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 they're using scientific missions to be there, but they're also just... I mean, I, I'm sure that some people just want to be in Antarctica, right? Oh, I can tell you, they want to be, yeah. I was, yeah. I was, I was um, talking to somebody from a particle physics experiment ah, that is in, Arct- in the Arctic or in the Antarctic. And, and for found neutrinos? Yeah, 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 this, okay. this, uh, was, uh, no, this one, the neutrino experiment. He talked about how hard it is to get actually into the group of people who have the privilege of locking themselves into a tiny station <laughs> on Antarctica for half a year. <laughs> but just, just to see it, yeah. And humans yeah. are like that. But I mean, they are all physicists, right? So <laughs> <laughs> It's a dream. You can just be in the basement all year. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. All right. On that note, any further mm-hmm. words? No, I think we discussed it all. We're now ready for the future. <laughs> <laughs>